And we're back. Carl and Zach. <clears throat> Zach and Carl. The very, very last time we're going to talk, uh, at least on this podcast, about Donald Miller's book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. So, hello, Zach. Hello. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm a little <clears throat> sick or something. I don't know. I've got some weird thing going on. Throat. We said last time there's going to be a lot of crying involved in reading the last four <laughs> chapters. I think he's just choking up. I'm getting ready for it. Getting ready. So where are we at? Bring us up to speed. Um, looks like we're on page two, about 200, uh, chapter, chapter 29. The chapter is the reason God hasn't fixed you yet. The reason that we're doing this is uh, we Zach and I have a, a little in-progress review. We call it an IPR meeting every Monday. We talk about uh, what, what Zach's been doing uh, in the world of veterans to help them and what I can do to support him better, and we just keep each other updated. And and we have challenged each other to read a chapter a week in a book that we will then pass on lessons learned to you. And uh, over the holidays, we just we got backed up on doing this. So now we're completely done with the book. So we're going to cover the last four chapters today. But what's been important about this is, and this is a book that I highly recommend to any veteran out there to go read because it talks about writing your own story. It's about regaining a sense of purpose. It's about figuring out intentionally how you want to live the rest of your life. And most of the veterans that I work with that are struggling with something have lost their sense of purpose. They're living day to day and they're not intentionally moving forward. And this book just gives you some great examples. So, uh, Zach, chapter 29, the reason God hasn't fixed you yet. What'd you get out of that chapter? Um, for me, it was pretty, I think from it, the, the beginning was a little slow. But on the second page, basically, there was a portion says, on the second paragraph, there's just something in the DNA of a human that responds to the idea of an event, a moment in which the upheaval we've all been working around is finally laid to rest. I think that is kind of, um, I don't know, veterans typically, especially veterans when they leave the military, that's, just, that's a big moment in their life. And you kind of really don't know what's going to happen until you get there. I don't know if I'm really interpreting that right. But that's kind of what I got out of that little chunk. Um, it says the uh, eh, last sentence of the first paragraph on 201. Yeah, well, I think that what that's about is that's <clears throat> that's wanting to achieve. It's wanting to bring closure to something. It's right. wanting to cross the finish line. Okay. And, uh, and what, when you go down to the next uh, paragraph below that, it it's talks about a lot of us want to be rescued. We want life to be perfect. We pray to God to fix something so that, you know, a relationship will be repaired or that I can get a great job so I have money. And it says we go on um, longing for a resolution that is never going to come, right? So we can't, we can't just pray that we're going to win the lottery and then not do anything to fix our lives. We can't pray that, that God is going to uh, fix somebody else's alcoholism so that we can have a better relationship. He, mm. he says that just God isn't going to do it. It's just not going to happen. And uh, there's, a, there's a feeling that nearly every person says, my life could be perfect if only I had a Mercedes yeah. or only I dated a Victoria's Secret supermodel or if only I you know, was CEO of Microsoft. <laughs> and um, what he is saying is that that ain't going to happen. And he goes on. It's pretty funny, the next part, because he talks about the Danish, Denmark. Mm -hmm. 
and he says, when it comes to the study, a British university did a study about the happiest countries. America is far down the list, and Denmark is on top. And uh, the reason the Danes are so happy was they had low expectations. So because they had low expectations, and I'm not saying this <laughs> is what you should have, low expectations. But yeah. because they had low expectations, then when things happen, they're like, woohoo, this mm-hmm. is awesome. You know, yeah. today was a mediocre day. That's awesome. But it's it's trying to change your mindset a little bit from if only I had that for it to be awesome. Mm-hmm. And what they're doing is they're saying, with what I have, it's awesome. That's a great way to, to live, right? Because Definitely. you have to be happy in the moment. The external doesn't matter. Maybe low expectations isn't, it shouldn't be, I don't know, what you should define your life as or what you should go by. I mean, for example, look at the, the previous chapter when that family had all the stuff they wanted in the world. And they lived in Malibu, whatever, in Southern California. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, they were in Montana. And I don't think low expectations really personally tailors to what they that lifestyle it was more of a simplistic life or um a minimalist lifestyle well they put difficult challenges because they had to make their own food and yeah and they let me look at that i mean to grow their own food i mean look how simple that can be like all you gotta do is just make your food and that's what they had to do in montana but you know when they hit when they went back to southern california their home they're like well now you need to make sure you have this TV and then you need to have this car because this stat- this is how it's going to reflect on your status. Um, and so I, that's what I thought. I mean, like, you know, maybe low expectations wouldn't be the most correct um, use of the word, if mm-hmm. you will, or whatever you want to call it, correct term. But I, I understand where, he, where he's coming from. I think maybe you know, when you have just, you got to just survive kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, something that veterans can relate to a lot. You can just, all you got to do is survive. Just get to the day. Okay, great. That's it. And then, you, you know, sometimes you can be happier in that, in that sense. He makes a, an interesting point on the next day. He says, uh, uh, I like Jesus. I follow him. I'm a Christian. But the idea that Jesus will make everything better is a lie. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important concept to be aware of, right? He says that uh, um, the apostles never promised Jesus is going to make everything better on earth. And it goes on to talk about, you know, how many of them were put in prison and beaten and all things. So he says he believes Jesus can make things better, but he's not going to make things perfect, at least not here and not now. But what he does love about the gospel of Jesus is that it offers hope. Mm-hmm. And hope is what you need for your soul to be more complete. And that's right in the Gallant Few Mission Statement, right? right, right. Veterans, okay. purpose right. and hope. If you don't have hope, you don't have purpose. Yeah. You know, If you don't have hope and purpose, then why live? So... This this is uh, it's an awesome thing to think about, and it's a scary thing to think about that you have to produce that from within yourself. Mm-hmm. I can't. I, mean, I can give you tools that can help you, or I can be an example to of what hope looks like. Mm-hmm. But the only way you can create hope is in yourself. The only way you can create purpose is in yourself. Definitely. Um, I see that you and I are very similar highlighted points on this. On you this stole page. my book. I definitely did not. No, but uh, one one thing I do that I know veterans and I am a example of, um, whatever you want to call it, like I've done, I'm guilty of it, is a veteran loses service and they try to find that significant other and say, well, this person is my medicine. This is, I'm able to become a successful person because of this person. And what I'm trying to say is basically this, in the book it says, after the girl I'd been, I'd been um, I dated had been in Switzerland for a while, and as I continued to see a counselor, 
I realized that for years I thought, thought of love as something that would complete me, make all my troubles go away. So many veterans, especially me, I, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm guilty of it, was thinking, wow, this, pro- this person has to be my life because they're making all my problems go away. You know, whatever, whatever thing you're dealing with. And now I'm like, maybe, maybe not. Maybe that's, maybe it's not supposed to lie within them. It's supposed to lie within myself. And I need to figure out how to fix it. But I thought that was huge. And I saw that you highlighted it too. And I underlined it. So what about in the, in the next page where he talks about his friends that have a great relationship there? He asks about, he asks her whether or not she believed there was one true love for every person. And she said, no. Right, because most people think there's one true love out there that you know if you can find that one true love person, and uh, Bruce's true love is jogging past the house. That's why he's barking. Um, because if there's one true love out there and you can find them, then your life will be perfect. Mm-hmm. But you're never going to find that one true love, so your life's going to suck. Mm-hmm. And and what she says is that uh, she married a guy, but he's just a guy. Mm-hmm. He's not going to fix her problems because he's just a guy. But that frees her to really love him as a guy, not as an ultimate problem solver. And because he does the same with her, then neither one of them need the other one to make everything okay because they're okay in their own right. Mm-hmm. But then that frees them up to have great company and to help each other out through life's conflicts. And that's a that's an amazing way to look at it. That's, I think, Sarah and I have a relationship like that. It's a tough thing to get to. Yeah. And you have to intentionally work on it because, you know, early... Early on, after we got married, if she traveled somewhere and she didn't text me right away to let me know she was there, then I'd get worried and bothered. And she's mm-hmm. why? Why can't she think enough to let me know that she's there? Okay, and then I'm I'm putting stuff on her that I don't need to put on her, and I need to be okay with the fact that she hits the ground running when she works, mm-hmm. and her focus is all on that, and she's just not thinking about letting me mm-hmm. know that she's there. It it, it goes. It's a different mentality. It's a different mindset when you're able to move to that. And it makes relationships stronger. All right, let's keep moving. Yeah. Uh, I love the, uh, the last part on page 206 where he says, I've let go of the idea things will ever be made perfect. And when you stop expecting people to be perfect, you can like them for who they are. And when you stop expecting material possessions to complete you, you'd be surprised at how much pleasure you get in material possessions. And when you stop expecting God to end all your troubles, you'd be surprised how much you'd like spending time with God. Right. Pretty profound stuff. Yeah. Um, great scenes have memorable. Great stories have memorable scenes. Chapter thirty. Mm. Did you come up with a net? Uh, <clears throat> my first marking was uh, the bottom of two hundred eight. The sentence goes: uh, When we look back on our lives, what we will remember are the crazy things we did, the times we worked harder to make a day stand out, and. Um, I mean, once again, coming from you know, a military point of view, the mm-hmm. things I did in Afghanistan, I can talk to my platoon about it today. And like, remember that one time ABC happened and then mm-hmm. XYZ happened because of it? And those are kind of the things, I mean, not only just military, uh, a birth, or uh, you met your, your spouse, you met um, a long-lost friend, or you reconciled with your, a, a parent or something like that. Um, it's things like those that are, you know, those might be a, a single day or maybe a week-long period of your life. But those are impactful stories that you are remembering for a reason. And it's something that's contributing to your own personal story, whether good, bad, or whatever, happy, sad, exciting, anything like that. So that's kind of what I got out of it from two away. Well, he, he talks about intentionally making a memorable scene. Mm-hmm. So you're driving, uh, um, 
he used an example of they, he was driving with a couple of his friends and and a girl had said something about how she used to like to go run through the cornfields or something yeah. and then they see a cornfield and there's a beautiful sunset and he just pulls over and he says get out and run and she gets out and runs through the cornfield you know acting stupid but that's something that they will always remember because they they won't remember the drive they won't remember that part but they'll remember that what they did it was stupid the movie Ten Cup you ever seen the movie Ten Cup I with Kevin not. Costner the end of it is awesome. And Rene Russo is his girlfriend. And he gets to the very last hole. And uh, and it's in the Masters. And he his caddy hands him a ball. He hits it. And it rolls off the green and drops in the water. And, uh, and, and typically, the golfer will walk up, you know, take a drop on the near side of the pond, and then they'll hit over. Mm-hmm. And he holds out his hand, like, give me another ball. And the caddy's like, what? Give me, give me another ball. So he does another ball. He drops it. It rolls into the water again. And so now he's getting mad. So he reaches out his hand. He give me another ball. And so the guy, they do this like six times. And finally, the guy's like, "This is the last ball." Mm-hmm. And Kevin Costner's like, "Give me the ball. I can do this." And then he hits it. and It goes in the hole. Huh. And and so when afterwards, when they're over there, he say he says something like he's apologizing to his girlfriend. He said, "How stupid I am. I can't believe I gave it away. You know, if only I'd have just laid up, I'd have taken second place, and I'd have got a million dollars for a second place or whatever it was." And she says, nobody will ever remember who won this tournament, but everybody will always remember those nine shots that you took at the last hole, Indeed. right? Even though he didn't win. So it's it's about creating that experience or creating that memory. And when you're doing something with somebody, you go out to uh, maybe you and your, your significant other, every Friday night you go out to a movie. Well, maybe on this particular Friday night, when you're going to a movie, you surprised by somebody else's tickets that's in line behind you or something and they don't even know about it but now you have something that you can talk about and remember because you made it special it's it's making things stand out which is a pretty cool concept okay let's keep going we could talk about stuff in there over and over and over and over um what next what do you want Um, to talk about next i want to stop on 213 real fast Uh in the middle of the page um the author goes, he writes, what I love most about that film is that it wasn't fiction. It was real people creating real moments, really bonding through insanely beautiful experiences. He's talking about the film Darius Goes West. And a documentary. For me, you know, again, the point of view was the military. I mean, look at from day one, boot camp. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know the army does its own thing, but in the Marine Corps, you're basically like on a bus with maybe 50 to 60 other people. Yeah, and it's hey, this is what's gonna happen. You you all you have this intense rush of adrenaline when the drill instructor comes on your bo- on your bus and starts yelling at you. It's things like those that are like, well, hey, I'm gonna bring this whole group of, pe- group of people together to establish this relationship between everybody. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but depict a scene in their mind that they're gonna remember that will be a memorable scene that they're not gonna forget. Especially when you see those yellow footprints from the Marine Corps, at least. Um, I don't know, just veterans in the service. It's gen- just a generalized statement that I was trying mm-hmm. to get, acro- get across in that paragraph. Yeah, yeah, so. it's awesome. The the Darius Goes West. I haven't watched that movie, but I need to watch it. But some uh, <clears throat> some friends take this guy who's paralyzed and in a wheelchair. They're driving him to California because they're hoping that MTV will pimp Darius's wheelchair. <laughs> but along the way, and and they do this documentary while they go, but they create memories while they're on the way and, and at the very end of it they roll his wheelchair into the ocean take him out of the chair and hold him as waves crash over his body and so the, these are all things they're 
They could have just gotten in a car, driven to California, and asked MTV to do it. But instead, they had this incredible journey that they documented, and now they get to share it with lots of other people. So, uh, Last page, real fast. <clears throat> um, I'm not going to get to the paragraph, but I'll summarize it real fast. And I wrote, you have to do it. You have to put in the work, but you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. So read the book, get to the chapter, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Uh, part five, and to the very <clears throat> end here, a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. What do you think? Um, it, I guess this was, I guess the beginning of this chapter is a little bit lighter. Uh, but, but the author asks a guy uh, named Mike to tell a story. And so I just said, well, ask a vet to tell a story. How many times does that veteran get to tell his story? Maybe not a whole lot, maybe a whole bunch. Who doesn't? You won't know until you hear that story. Uh, so I said, ask a vet to. Yeah, and you don't know what they're going to say. <clears throat> so he knew that he had this old guy that was doing this cross, cross-country bike ride mm-hmm. that um, they were they were impressed with him because he was way older than everybody else, but he's hanging in there and he's doing all the bike rides. So finally when they asked him to tell the story, he goes through all these failures in his life and how all these things, his marriages had fallen apart and his and his kids, uh, he'd quit on his kids. And, he's addicted but, to drugs. Uh, yeah, but now he said he's, he's, he's not a quitter anymore. He's signed up for this. He signed up to do this difficult thing so that he could finish. And that's, so So this guy's gone through all these life experiences, and now he's turned his life around, and he's trying to do a better job. But the people that were with him didn't know until mm-hmm. one of them asked him to share a story. Yeah. so it's a it's a cool way to find out really <clears throat> what uh, what other people are going through because a lot of people won't share that stuff. thirty two. <clears throat> I have just two quick statements on this one. the beginning uh-huh. of the chapter. Uh, talked about his uh, his friend named the author's friend named Jim. And how he lost, Jim lost his wife of 27 years. And um, I don't know, I guess I read the first couple of paragraphs and the first statement, like, the first question came to my mind was, what would you tell your kids right before you died? Or your loved ones, your family, your friends, whatever. And that kind of makes me think like, damn, like I got maybe a day left. What am I going to tell them? How, you know, the thing, I don't know, just what are you going to tell them? It's mm-hmm. a vast question, very broad. And then also I wrote, um, <clears throat> uh, the author goes, at the time I felt I was carrying a thousand pounds up a mountain when Jim came beside me and carried it on, the sh- on his shoulders like a sack of feathers. And that was basically in reference to <clears throat> the author having to book his own speeches and do organize his whole chaotic life with book stuff. And then, but I realized, you know, and then he asked the guy, Jim, for help. And Jim's like, yeah, this is what my company is all about. Let me take care of it. And then all of a sudden that weight went from a thousand pounds to a sack of feathers. And then I wrote, <clears throat> "This is what happens when you're alone and not asking for help. And then when you're then when you're asking for help, how it can be." But I know pride and things like that can get in the way. <clears throat> yeah, there was a, a big piece that when he talked about his wife passing away from cancer and and how how much you don't understand. Um, really how how what love really is until you have it taken away mm-hmm. well, until you see um, a beautiful story that's ending and that's one of the things that it with uh, somebody who thinks that they have no purpose left on earth and it's better they would be better off if they were dead mm-hmm. right you're <clears> taking <throat> you the other people that love you you're not seeing that 
Right. So you just, it gets so close that you don't see it. And um, when after his wife had passed away and they're, they're sitting around and they're, they're talking about uh, remembering things. <clears throat> and, and this comment there that I, that I highlighted, he says, I wondered how much it costs to be rich in friends and how many years and stories and scenes it takes to make a rich life happen. You can't build an end scene as beautiful as this by sitting on a couch. So even though the group had experienced a devastating loss, the ones who remained were richer because she was in their life, mm -hmm. even though now she's gone. So, But that's huge, right? You can't build a beautiful end scene by sitting on a couch. So how many people sit at home, sit in front of the computer, freaking do Instagram, do Facebook, creating false relationships and... They're not really doing anything. They need to get off their butt. They need to go out, interact with local people, make things happen. It's funny, make friends. It's ironic that, like, you know, they're not be on social media twenty four seven, and they're making these false relationships, like you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. But they might be making these false relationships, but they're witnessing real relationships happen with people who are doing. Oh, look, these group of ten people went to a waterfall and jumped off, or did something fun, or you know, they, this group of friends <clears throat> knew each other from childhood. And then all of a sudden they lost one, to, lost one of them due to an accident. Mm -hmm. But the relationship is so much stronger, so much more beautiful. But it's sad because people on social media are just watching this. Mm -hmm. They're not doing it to obtain it, to, to be rich and beautiful in their own lives. So that's kind of a sad way to look at it. But, I mean, hopefully it's a wake-up wake up call to anyone out there just on social media. That's it. So Next <clears throat> chapter is all you have to do is try. And he talks about the... Texas high school that was the subject of Friday Night Lights. Yep, that movie. And uh, <clears throat> and and he watched the movie, and uh, he he thought, well, this is weird because I specifically remember the team winning when I was a kid. I don't remember them losing. And so he went back and he did his research and he looked it up and found out that they did lose, but the following year was the year they won, which is the year he watched. Yeah, and and so he he talks about. Um, they didn't do a movie about the year they won because the year they lost, the story was better. Mm -hmm. The sacrifice was greater. The, the, um, it, it, what, what he goes on to say is that it's not necessary for you to win for the story to be great. It's necessary to sacrifice Everything. for the story to be great. Everything. Yeah. Let it all hang out there. Um, all right. What else? Uh, I guess that chapter, the next chapter, which was chapter, what, 34? Simple. Speaking something into nothing, creating where nothing was before. Simple and fun. I just thought it was cool how this basically this uh, street of people on New Year's Day, it was claimed to be the most boring day of the year, and so they said, well, let's do something about it. And so this family got together. One family did it. Yeah. Not the whole people on the street, just yeah. one family. But they went down, that one family went knocking on all the doors down the street saying, hey, we're going to do a parade. We're going to dress up and have fun and make this a fun day. And so then it came from basically about a dozen people sitting around. And, and then after the parade was over that day, the first one ever, they, about a dozen people were hanging out. And then this thing was still going on 10 years later. Not only that, but hundreds of people were taking place. Yeah, let's that. back up, though, because you're missing oh. a key point in here because... Oh. Okay. They, they started, they sat around talking about and dreaming what the parade was going to be like, right? Mm -hmm. And then they started trying to figure out how many people should we call to invite to watch the parade. And then he said, 
isn't it more fun to be in a parade than to watch a parade? So they made a rule that no one was allowed to watch the parade. So they would knock on people's doors and say, we're having a parade, come join us, but you're not allowed to watch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's a crazy idea, right? You can't stand out in your front yard and watch the, port, watch the parade because you either have to come march in it or you have to go back in your house. Right. And so it was so outlandish that people, everybody started joining the parade. And so now, like you said, years and years later, now people, the hundreds of people come and some people fly in from out of town because the, it was such a special thing that they yeah. want to come back and they want it, they want to re-enjoy it. But also so. <clears throat> things like a, a Queen's Brunch came from that event uh-huh. as well. The people who, the women who were the parade queen, they would all get together every year. They'd always add a member from the previous year, basically, and they get together to have lunch. So kind of community coming together. So they took the most boring day of the year and turned it into a community favorite. But now people mark on their calendars and plan their vacations. Around. That's crazy. And they're, and, they're, and it was the most boring day of the year. So you can't sit at home and say, well, there's nothing here. I can't do anything. You know, I can't create anything. It's boring. No. You can make something happen, something as outlandish as a parade that you're not allowed to watch. Mm-hmm. Your mission is to find a mission. Yeah. Spartan Pledge related. Right. Um, oh, real fast here. So maybe this is kind of from, um, I'll make this quick. I'll try, mm-hmm. to, try to at least. Uh, I think this comes from Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're relating to a synergistic, mo- a synergistic moment when basically Bob uh, is a friend of the author and they ha- were over in uh, Africa and they founded a school, or they got money together to uh, make a school make a school happen. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the locals gave Bob a tree to plant. And the author Donald was taking pictures. And so Bob was like, uh, Bob goes. Um, he asked the author to plant the tree for him to plant Bob's tree. And then he goes. The author goes. Are, are you sure? The other guy says, absolutely. It would be great for me to come back to this place and see the tree you planted to be reminded of you every time I visit. And for me, I guess that's a synergistic moment. You know, two people kind of come in, two people or more come together to create something that is really going to blossom, bloom, literally, in this sense, as a tree. But, I mean, it's kind of bigger than themselves in a sense. You know, all these kids now are going to be able to benefit. From and he made the other guy a part of the story. Yeah, exactly. Which brought, he brought him into it. So he saw somebody standing on the sidelines. He invited him in. Um, there's a, there's a whole bunch of we're bumping up on a half an hour, and I got a, a uh, call with a veteran coming up here in a minute. One of the uh, so I'm going to hit on just a couple of, of points at the end. He had talked before about going on this bike ride across the country with everybody, and he said that as he as he created that story and he went on that and he met all these people across the country. What he found out was that all the stuff that's on TV is a bunch of BS. Mm-hmm. So the people that are on the news that are talking about how screwed up America is and how terrible it is. And uh, he said when they pedaled across America at 15 miles an hour, they saw a different America than the one that you see when you flip on Fox News or CNN in the morning. So his point there was get connected locally, get connected mm-hmm. with other people, quit looking at quit looking at the news on TV because all that does is stress you out. And mess you up. So that was pretty awesome. Yep. Um, what uh, other other thoughts before we get done? I like uh, I like him talking about his uh, his dog. Lucy. Right. He takes his dog to a park where she plays in the creek, runs all over the place, 
And he says, you know, my dog didn't need a self-help book to learn how to be a dog. She's mm -hmm. just a dog. She just is a dog. So quit trying to get other people to, to uh, help teach you how to be a human. Just go be a human. Mm -hmm. Just right? do it. Yeah, just I'll, do it. I want to say something real fast. Maybe this, this is a big meat potatoes of this chapter. Um, he basically quotes the Bible, uh, Ecclesiastes uh, book. And he says, um, <clears throat> find a job you like, enjoy your marriage, and obey God. And then he goes, it's as God, it's as though God is saying, write a good story, take somebody with you, and let me help. And I'm thinking, like, it's especially what you just referenced. It, like, hold, it's, it's that, just clear, cut, and dry, you know, mm -hmm. just that, and just do it. And I'm thinking, man, like, and so many positive possibilities are out there based off of those. You know, write a good story, take somebody with you, and let me help. That's over. awesome, right? Yeah. The um, the very last page of the book, he has an inset that I pretty much highlighted the whole thing. And uh, it says, we have to learn and we have to teach other people who are struggling that it doesn't matter what we expected from life, but rather what life expected from us. We need to stop asking about the meaning of life and instead think of ourselves as those who are being questioned by life daily and hourly. Our answer must exist not in talk and meditation, but in right action and right conduct. Life ultimately means taking the responsibility to find the right answers to its problems and to fulfill the tasks which it constantly sets before each individual. So it's, it's, um, it's creating a story. It's living a good story. It's bringing somebody else along with you, and it's asking God to help. Yeah. Right? So cool. Done. Amazing book. Uh, Donald Miller... A million miles in a thousand years. So what are we doing next? We talked about what we're doing next. next book. We're going to do Nick Kumlatso's book, Excommunicated Warrior. Mm -hmm. That is going to be the next book. Okay. Thanks for spending a half an hour with us. Hope you stuck around the whole time. Gallantfew.org. Learn more about uh, the work that we do. Zach and Carl signing off. What? Well, one last time for this book. Be brave, be bold, and be gallant. We're going to... We say that every time, but I was trying to get you to say it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, Mo. Yeah. <laughs>